What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the End Credits Podcast. Thank you so much for returning, or if this is your first time clicking on this episode for the first time, however you are here, thank you so much. I am joined once again by frequent friend of the show, Phoenix Cloud and Phoenix. Thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely, buddy. Happy to be here. We do have a little bit of uh, some audio hurdles to work through, so this might not be our traditional um, traditional audio quality, but I think we're overcoming those hurdles, so if you could just bear that in mind while listening, we would appreciate that. Today, we are talking about the 2016 film Fences, directed by the icon Denzel Washington, starring the magnificent Viola Davis, amongst others. Um, Phoenix, we've been trying to do Fences on the show for a long, long time. Uh, yes, I think we thought we would do this in Black History Month, and now it's in the middle of International Women's Month. <laughs> so... We are we, we're a little we're a little behind here, but nonetheless, we are still doing it. Um, this was my first time with Fences. It's been on my watch list for legitimately years, years. It's been on my watch list. Um, and this was the first time that I got to watch the stage adaptation into the movie. Phoenix, how many times have you seen Fences or was this the first I've seen Fences probably now four times. Good. So, like, I had the, I watched it when it originally came out uh, because that was the same year. Was it the same year? Was that the same year as as Moonlight? Yeah, that was the same year. Yes, it was. Yep. So, like, that was the first year when I was uh, watching all of the Best Picture nominees. So, uh, I watched it then. Then watched it again shortly after. Now I've seen it twice because of my film class. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh well, you could have told me no. We don't. We don't want to do it because you just watched it so recently. But that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, okay. So, starring, produced, directed by Denzel. So, play written by August Wilson, um, who has written written a lot of phenomenal plays. Um, Viola Davis, Stephen McKinley, Henderson, Giovanna Debo, Russell Hornsby round out this cast. And I knew this was a stage adaptation, but I have more thoughts on that than I thought I would originally going in. A um, lot of thoughts. But how do you think the movie adapts with it being a play? First of all, have you have you seen the play? If you haven't. Um, obviously you've seen the movie quite a few times. Like what are your thoughts now that you've seen it so many times with how it does reflect the play? Um, well, I've seen the play version. I've seen both the play version with James Earl Jones and with, uh, Iowa and Denzel. Nice. Yeah. So, um, I find the movie is very much in the same vein as the play. Like, pretty much stays exactly the same. Uh, the only difference is, like, you know, obviously with film, you have more of a wide open medium to explore things a little bit more. But um, other than that, I think it's it's pretty much a stage to screen adaptation of the play. Okay. Perfect. Um, for me, I have not seen the play. And like I mentioned, this was my first time seeing it. I was a little taken aback by how little the uh, the camera moved. It, it was pretty much just, uh, it's almost like the director of photography set the camera down sometimes and walked away. Um, I think the other big piece of this too was the dialogue. The dialogue felt remarkably like it was just beat for beat, word for word, pulled out of the play. And maybe it was, maybe it was, but here's the thing. I've always said this. I am a huge, huge advocate that when you are adapting both a play to a movie and a book to a movie, not every single thing needs to be adapted. Like I, I can't stand when the walking dead's a great example of this. Like when you watch in like the walking dead and fans are like, 
oh, but it has to be this way because it's like that way in the comics. Who cares? This isn't the comics. Like, same thing for It Chapter 2. It Chapter 2, It Chapter 2 reeked because they tried to include some things that was in the original It book. And it was like, well, not everything makes sense to adapt to film in a book, in a let's stick with the book for now. I know fences isn't, but in a book you have more room to go ahead and flesh things out, to go ahead and adapt a story, to involve subplots. You don't have that type of time in a movie. And then for a play, obviously a play, there's one single setting before they can go ahead and change out sets. It's not like characters are moving throughout different settings and the dialogue, especially there's a different type of dialogue going on in place because it's not as visual as a movie can be at times. I felt like the dialogue was just, it was tough for me. I I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to hide from it. It was, it was tough because the jargon was so coming so quickly. And because it's adapt from a play, people characters were just standing around. We've got like these 15 minute dialogue scenes where like, they're just BSing with each other, talking about politics, talking about life. And it's like some of those stories were a lot more engaging than others. But some of them were like, my goodness, guys, give me something here. Am I wrong? Do you think I'm wrong to feel that way? Or what What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, that's exactly how I felt watching it. Uh, because particularly with uh, Troy, yeah. He's he's written in a way like August Wilson wrote like he wrote like eight or something plays. Uh but they were all set in different time periods. Mm-hmm. So like he wrote one for the twenties, one for the thirties, one for the forties, and so forth. And like I think Fences is in the fifties. Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. So like Troy's dialogue is based on someone who's grown up well before then. So, like, he's he's very used to talking in the manner that they spoke probably 20-plus years before this story. So, like, a lot of his dialogue is rooted in that time period mm-hmm. so like it, it's jarred definitely on the first watch <laughs> and uh like it was only after i learned more about august wilson and learned more about his plays that i was like okay i get that style but yeah like if you don't know that just watching the movie you're you're probably like a lot of this could have been cut. <laughs> yeah, and a, a couple things. Like, I don't want to take anything away from what Denzel did, what any of these actors in this film did. I'm sure this was very challenging to try and adapt all this dialogue. And Denzel and Viola especially bring these two powerhouse performances. So in no way am I, you know, devaluing what they've done. I'm talking specifically from a cinematic experience this is a, a, a you know an important story, very successful play that makes sense to be adapted into a movie. But I almost feel like they didn't just make a straightforward cut for cut, beat for beat adaptation from the play and just put it in a movie. Like this is something that could have been enhanced a bit with maybe an upgraded story, maybe some upgraded dialogue. And the other thing too is like, sure. Troy grew up and was used to talking like that. We don't talk nowadays like how they did back in the 1940s, 1950s. I I understand that. That doesn't mean that it's totally, totally easy to watch and cinematic. I think it's the same thing. Same thing with Tragedy of Macbeth that came out a couple of years ago. Another, of course, Denzel play adaptation of, of course, Shakespeare's Macbeth. The way that they talked in that play. I get it. That's how people used to talk. I get it. It's Shakespeare. It's, it's beautiful. It's historic. I understand all of those elements. Um, 
that doesn't mean that it makes it an easy watch when you have people talking that way that is so, so different than how we verbally communicate now with specifically how we structure sentences and what certain things mean. And while fences is a lot more straightforward than that, you know, it's just hard to see Troy do this like 90 second dialogue and then for Viola to do this two minute dialogue and then bounce back and forth. And it's like, I don't even really know what we're talking about anymore. It's it's it was a little frustrating for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know. I know exactly how you feel, <laughs> because. Yeah, there are there are moments in the movie where, uh, like, like someone will ask for a question, and he'll like rant for like three minutes about how you asked him that particular question that way, <laughs> and it's just like, bro, can you get to the point? Like, like you know that? Like, it's very, it's very like nagging at the senses so i get i get that and that can definitely be frustrating but my thing is i'm having seen both the james Earl jones version and the um denzel version of the play i kind of wish that denzel didn't cast himself in this role really yeah yeah because denzel has a certain flair about him for sure (laughs) where it's like that's denzel and i just feel like troy doesn't get to be a fully realized character in, in either of these guys versions because it doesn't feel like Troy. It feels like James Earl Jones or it feels like Denzel Washington. And so I would have liked to have seen someone else take on that role and, and maybe bring something different to it that wasn't like just a part of their natural charisma persona that they have. Yeah. Um, I'm totally with that. Like Denzel one of the most iconic, brilliant actors of all time. And he's almost too good for this role. Is that, is that crazy to say? Like we're saying he's almost too good to do this. Like you're right. Denzel is such a presence and such a command. He's not an angry person in general. It's not what we're saying. It's more so that like he is so, so believable. And when you're playing a character that is this hard to to root for and this hard to watch, he's almost too believable, which is crazy. I feel like that's such a rare thing to say, but it's like he does a great job. But two men that come to mind that I almost would rather see in this role, and it'll be interesting to hear your take on this as well. Um First, we talked about last time we did a movie recording was also very present in a 2016 movie, Mahershala Ali. I just feel like he's so much more calm than Denzel and he's just got such more of a a quiet persona. It would have been interesting to see him in this role. Um, And the other it's it's ironic to say this after the 2022 Oscars, but uh, I think Will Smith, I think Will Smith would have been interesting in this role as well. Um, would it have been as critically acclaimed? I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's an interesting what if to see a couple different actors in this role instead of Denzel. What do you think? I I agree that it would have been much better to see different actors. Uh, since the stage play, I, I believe, has still run a few times since... Uh, Denzel and, and Viola's run. I don't know who's embodied the role of Troy since then, but I just, I don't know. Like, it's, it just needs a different energy. Uh, I, I think Will Smith would have been very interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, he could have brought something very unique to that role, but I also think He's, he's also kind of one of those actors that has 
a persona to him that maybe it is hard to look past to see the character. Yeah. So, like, I was, uh, would probably go somewhere like, I don't know, like, can we tell they care for it? Yeah, that's a good one. Someone like that, where it's like, like you know who you are, but like you can effortlessly slip into different characters. So, like, as opposed to some people who who kind of need a character bigger than 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 themselves to to really fit into it. What about what about Cuba Gooding? Cuba Gooding would have been amazing. Yeah, I like that. I like those last two picks we have. Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, he he definitely. Yeah, he definitely would have fit that like uptight. I've seen how the world is type of character. Um. Okay, according to my very lazily research here on the Broadway play. It appears that James Earl Jones and Denzel are the only two to play the role. Um, now that was very quick research, so we'll see. Um, <laughs> we'll see if that's actually true or not. But that is what I found. Um, by no means are we saying that Denzel delivers a bad performance. It's just there's some people that aren't a fit for this role, and it's almost like, nah, that's that's a little too on the nose. I don't know. It's just... There's, there's a particular scene, um, probably like the most noted scene in the movie, and in the play, uh, uh, where the, the... I forget the son's name. But uh, he asks Troy, uh, how come you don't like me? Yep. Yeah, and like... I've seen that scene on YouTube um, where James Earl Jones does it and when Denzel does it. And when James Earl Jones does it, it's very, very serious. Like, very serious, very dark. But it's also, like, James Earl Jones is like a... I don't, I don't know what school he went to, but I know he went to, like, one of the top acting schools. Mm -hmm. And so, like, He's very intentional to sound out all of his letters. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So he's like, 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 uh, what kind of fool are you to ask me that question? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that's how he says it. And then when Denzel does it, it's it's got a more of a comedic sense to it. And so like He's almost like he's almost like uh, his character in Training Day, <laughs> you know, when he's like, like you know, what you gotta ask me that for, you know? And like he's almost like got a confident Denzel shrug to him. <laughs> so it's yeah, like, it's like it comes off very comical, and it and it happens in both the movie and the play, and you're like almost laughing at him, but I, you shouldn't. I don't know if the goal of Troy's character is for you to dislike him the entire time, or if the goal is that you see that he is a man who went through all these different struggles in life, like, you know, with his failed baseball career, because he aged out before they let black players play when he's talking about how there's no people of color that are able to drive the garbage trucks. Like, I don't know if they're supposed to show you that, he is a hardened soul because of everything he's gone through, but you're still supposed to look at him in a positive light, like appreciate him and still be like, this is kind of a, a stubborn broken man, but I, I can sympathize with him. the way that Denzel plays it. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't like, it's just, I, I think he deserved to get nominated. Of course, Denzel still, still, one of the all-time legends. It's just like, I I really do not like this character. I really don't. It's not with the way he's written. I don't like any, I just don't like who he is as a person. And of course, 90% of that is how he's written, but I'd say 10% of it is how it's adapted too. And um, I'd be really interested to see James Earl Jones and how he carries this character 
because at least the Denzel version was so unlikable. Yeah. Uh, it was intentionally written so where you wouldn't like him. <laughs> like at all. I, I know, I know, of course, I know, of course, you're not supposed to. He abuses his wife. He's horrible to his kids. Like, I get it, but. Is there a part of you there where you're like, yeah, I'm supposed to sympathize with him a little bit? Or are you supposed to be like, yeah, this guy's just a total POC? I don't know. I think, I think. POS, excuse me. (laughs) POS. Yeah. yeah. I I think Troy is written in a way where you have, you know, men, men of that time period were hard like like really really hard especially black men yep. because you know they had gone through the last few vestiges of slavery and then there's reconstruction and then there's jim crow and like you know what I'm so like these these guys are seeing the harshest parts of humanity and so a lot of uh kindness and, and empathy that that we've developed over time, these guys never had. <laughs> so I feel like uh Troy was written exactly how that person would be in that time. And I do think there is an uh air of sympathy around him simply because of the world that he grew up in and that he's seen. So like, while his, it doesn't justify his actions, uh, it, it it gives you an idea to understand who he is and why he's that way because of everything he's gone through. The only thing I, I would say is execution-wise, that's where they dropped the ball <laughs> because I remember when, way back when, we uh, reviewed Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm-hmm. And, and you specifically brought up the point that, like, instead of doing these, you know, 10-minute monologues where we stay with the character, if we had seen some flashbacks of this particular incident, it would have broadened the, the, the movie simply because we didn't stay in one space. I feel like that criticism is uh, the same one that we can apply here. My goodness, that was like three years ago. I can't believe you remembered that. <laughs> well, I mean, that was one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Phoenix and I have been uh, have been doing this for a while. Not not on this show, but we've been doing this for a while. Um, <laughs> My goodness. Well, we'll talk about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in relation to this movie momentarily. Um, I I thought there's one more person. When they bring this back on the stage, uh, because they probably won't make another movie version of this for at least 15, 20 years, but when they bring this back on the stage, a young black actor who I'd like to see play Troy is Yaya Abdul-Mateen. That would be be pretty sweet. That's what I'd like to see. Um, obviously he wasn't going to be cast in the 2016 version, but when they bring this back to Broadway, let's get Yaya in there. I think that'd be cool. Um, let's move to Viola. Of course, she won her Oscar for this role. Best supporting actress. She's just a total, total powerhouse. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, she went up against Naomi Harris and Moonlight. We spent a good deal talking about her and her performance, who, by the way, you also thought was category fraud. So, um, <laughs> I just want that on the record. Um, Nicole Kidman and Lion, Octavia Spencer and Hidden Figures, and Michelle Williams in Manchester by the Sea. If Viola would have gone into um, lead actress, she would have won. She would have went up against Isabel Huppert for L. Ruth Nega for Loving, Natalie Portman for Jackie, Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins, and the winner, Emma Stone for La La Land. So um, that's who she would have had to deal with. Yeah, I, I there are a lot of movies in that category that are just not super relevant, even though we're only, what, eight years from it? Seven years from it? I mean, Loving, 
Florence Foster Jenkins and L. I I mean, those are not relevant at all anymore. And then Jackie, I've heard of, of course, but I haven't seen it. And then La La Land's the only one that's even even in conversations anymore these days. I mean, what a what a category. Yeah, I have seen uh, Florence Foster Jenkins and Meryl Streep is amazing in that movie. Uh, I would probably say deserving a win uh, for that role because I think she does some of her best work in that movie. Um, but the La La Land hate just week over week, you just you just <laughs> find a way to squeeze it in here, Phoenix. Like. Audio issues or not, like you just you find a way to wedge it in every single week. It's like it's like an Easter egg hunt. We're gonna have we're gonna have listeners come in every show and just listen out for the la la land dig you provide every single week. Oh my god! All right, carry on. You got performance though in this movie was always gonna steal the film. Like Rose is is a incredible character. Uh you know, someone who's living with someone like Troy has to have an enormous amount of patience <laughs> and and strength. And I think Viola Davis completely embodied that in Rose. And, and she obviously has the one scene where she finally breaks and it's tremendous. And I've seen it, I've seen it now on screen and on stage. Yeah. It's powerful both ways. It's like really incredible. And the, the fact that Viola Davis is able to reach that level every time is insane. Like you don't get talented than that. <laughs> For sure. Um, and a deserved win. Do you think this is her best her best role? Ooh, no. <laughs> like, I think she's amazing in it and definitely a deserving win. Um, but I would say she's had one other role that I would say is a little bit better. Are you going to tell me what it is? Or... Uh, <laughs> It's my rainy's black bottom. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, adapted screenplay. Well, no, let's let's move to uh Denzel real quick and wrap that with a bow. He was nominated for actor in a leading role. Um, this was a banger category this year. You had um Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge, Ryan Gosling for La La Land, Vigo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic. Denzel, of course, for Fences, and then the eventual winner, Casey Affleck, for Manchester by the Sea, a winner that I will stand by uh, for a long, long time. Yeah, I think Denzel deserved to be in here. I do. I just think that that is a great category this year, and we've already talked about that. First of all, Casey Affleck is one of the best winners of the decade. And secondly, um, this performance was good enough to be nominated, but we still as we've already voiced some concerns with it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would have went with Casey Affleck. Uh, we would have gone past, uh, if we hacks all ridge, but that's just me. Um, but I do agree with the win. <laughs> yeah. They also got into adapted screenplay where we saw arrival fences, hidden figures, lion and the winner moonlight. Um, yeah, I mean, this feels right, right? Like a very historic, respected play gets nominated. I mean, that's that's pretty routine for a lot of years when a very respected Broadway play is adapted. It, it almost always is a shoe-in for adapted. Yeah, and I mean, deserving. I think if there were some slight changes to it, like a lot more changes to it, it might have had a better chance. But because it was such a almost rigid uh, adaptation, it it really wasn't gonna <laughs> pull ahead in that crowd. 
I want to double back to something that you said earlier about um, potential flashbacks. This it goes straight to what I said from the top about you don't need to completely replicate every single thing from the stage version over to the movie. I know that they could not do flashbacks in the stage version. Of course, they couldn't do that. However, they could in the movie. That would have elevated it so much. Would it have ticked off people who were huge fans of the play? I don't know. But like, you can't make a beat for beat for beat remake of the play, especially with the actors that were already in it. Like, guys, come on. Come on. Exactly. And I think that's, uh, yeah, 100% the reason why it's celebrated because it is a great play and, and, you know, an incredible screenplay is just, if you put a little bit more behind it, (laughs) you know, uh, and, and yeah, it just it just fell a little bit short in terms of the adaptation to the film medium. You know, what I'm saying like I know that there are people out there who are August Wilson purists, and they're like, you know, strict by keeping every everything as it is because it's it is such important writing. Yeah. And very important stories, and I get it. I get the um, the passion for it. I'm just like you're. If you're going to adapt it to a different medium, you kind of have to be able to take liberties. Oh, it's, it's just like you know, what I'm saying like if we were putting it on the stage, fine, no, no, no questions about it. But if we were, if we were putting it in a graphic novel, saying some things will have to change. Yep. Putting it in a video game, so some things will have to change. It's just, just the nature of doing something in a different medium. Um, I want to talk about August Wilson, who wrote ten different plays. One of them being Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which Denzel was a producer on. I did see an interview a while back where Denzel really, really talked about his admiration for August and saying that it is his goal to at least produce or be involved with the film adaptation of all 10 of August's plays. Of course, there's been two right now, Offenses and Ma Rainey. So he's got a long way to go, but it's very important for Denzel to go ahead and translate August's work over to film and continue to have those live on. Now they're very historic, so they'll live on forever, forever, but at least, you know, bringing them more to the attention of today's audience where, you know, they may otherwise be lost without Denzel's work. So that's something that I found that's pretty cool. I would like him to start maybe not translating beat for beat, word for word. Hey, here's the script of the play. Let's just make it a movie now. Um, I'd like to see that, but I'm one person and Denzel is freaking Denzel Washington. So I don't know, but if we get 10 movies that are the identical thing to the play, um, I'm glad that we're getting them. I'm glad that August Wilson's work is going to be top of mind for so many people that otherwise would not have known about it. However, I feel like it'd be a missed opportunity if that were the case. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Even though I loved my is by bottom. And that's easily been my favorite of the adaptations. But you still, <laughs> but you still found areas where it could have been improved. Yes. Yes. And that is something that I hope is done because I mean, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with August Wilson's plays, but like there are some, you can't do a straight like page to screen adaptation. Like it just it just won't work. And so I'm hoping that if he does continue with this, there is some talk of, of working them out. Where do you think this movie fences? ranks as far as now you don't have to give me concrete because it's on the spot but like when you think of recent stage play adaptations 
What what comes to mind near the top of that? Oh, see that's tough <laughs> because most of my favorite stage uh, adaptations are musicals. <laughs> so, like, if it's not a musical, it's way way down on that list. <laughs> All right. Well, what what are some of them in general? What for me? Yeah. I mean, top of that list is like sound of music. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's pretty much uh, the gold standard. I think a recent one for me, uh, the father. I think. Oh yeah. The father for a recent example of how to adapt the stage play into a movie. Um, yeah. Something that the editing, the fences could have learned a lot from the father. Now I recognize that. Fence came out four years before The Father. I understand that. Maybe Denzel and whoever is writing the next adaptation of August Wilson's play can watch The Father and study from it. Because The Father used so much editing in that movie to 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 help the audience piece through the story and understand what the main character was going through. They used editing to their advantage, something they could not do in the stage version. Please learn from that moving forward, please. <laughs> um, no, but um, Phoenix, what do you love about fences? Like we've, we've talked a lot about our issues with it. We've talked a lot about where we would change some things. What do you love about this movie? Man, I love that it is a story about a particular time in, in black life. Mm-hmm. You know, and just this idea of who we were at this time and and how far we've come. So, like, I think it's a, a great time capsule movie about our experiences, in particularly in America. And I do love the characterization of Troy and Royce and the Rose. Yep. And, and one thing that I'll shout out, I loved the, um, scouting location, the production location that they were able to find in Pittsburgh. I think that was a great location for what they were trying to accomplish here with this. Um, not as much a production design because they went through and they actually scouted and found that we talked about the difference there, uh, in point break and moonlight. We talked about the difference between scouting locations and production designs. I liked this area. It was beautiful to look at. It fit exactly what was needed of this play. So I really liked that aspect of it. Um, and I enjoyed the moments where um, Troy's sons voiced up. I, I really enjoyed those moments. Like to see these young men really voice up and, and, challenge their father who is this such intimidating fearful figure some of those moments were the highlights for me i enjoyed those i don't see a lot of people talking about that with this movie but i enjoyed seeing his sons take a stand on their own and either tell his father that uh he was wrong or that it's what they want to do it's what they want to believe in so i enjoyed those moments i also really liked the addition of the character of Troy's brother. Yeah. Uh, I forget I forget his name. Yeah. Uh, but that character to me is essential to this story because so much of what has happened to him leads into Troy's feelings of inadequacy and hatred. Yep. And so... I love that he's a part of this story because he's like the physical embodiment of all of Troy's resentment. So that, that to me is a very central character and I really, really liked how he's portrayed. Um, Let's talk about the year 2016. There were three important black movies that came out in 2016, Moonlight, Fences and Hidden Figures. Of course, we're doing Fences now. Um, and then Moonlight was the last movie review we did. However, you're listening to this episode, by the way, 
If you want to hear Phoenix's masterclass review of Moonlight and also hear him dig quite a few times at La La Land, go ahead and check out our our previous review on Moonlight. But that's a great episode. I think you'd really enjoy that if you're listening to this. Um, Yeah, so 2016, the year of La La Land versus Moonlight, the year of La La Land getting all the Oscars in the world, the year of Arrival kind of getting snubbed in a lot of ways, but it's still maybe one of the more relevant movies to come out that year. 2016 was just such a brilliant year for movies. And then you've got these, this trio of just incredibly important black movies. Phoenix, like what's the relevance of all three of these coming out at the same time? Maybe not the meaning, you know, obviously we're not going to, they didn't, strategically planned to release all these at the exact same time. But like, what's the the relevance for Hollywood? What's the relevance for culture for all three of these movies to be released right around the same time? I think it's interesting because I think it's also the last time that it was done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, um, you know, since I started paying attention the, to the Oscars, which was that year, you know, that was the last time I remember where you had three black singer films in Best Picture. And you also had a Indian film as well with uh, Lion. Yep. So, like, like, yeah, that was, that was incredible. And we haven't gotten back to that, which is weird because we've had years where we should have. <laughs> like, um, you know, thinking to 2020, where we had My Rainy, The Five Bloods, Soul, uh, One Night in Miami. Miami. Yep. Like that, that would have been another great year for to have a lineup like that. Well, I mean, in the in the Titan year of 2020, I can't imagine that. You know, well, what it should have been. It should have been 2020 with Soul. Ma Rainey in One Night in Miami. I know you're a big time Defy Bloods fan. I'd I'd say that's probably four out of those for me. But um, as far as best picture relevance and what they traditionally look for, none of those three got in. And I think all three should have. Um, but, you know, 2020 was such a such a brilliant year for movies. I can see why things got snubbed. But no, um, no, no. Um, yeah, I, I can see. I think there's a big time importance for three of these films to come out all at the same time to be represented in so many categories at the Oscars. And even though Hidden Figures didn't win a whole lot of Oscars, and neither did Fences. Fences only walked away with one. Um, but the fact that they were represented so frequently is definitely a big deal for the Academy and one that felt like they were taking steps in the right direction that ultimately um, – didn't amount to much. Now they have gotten better. You know, you look at the best picture winners recently, you, you know, you got uh parasite, you've got everything everywhere. We've got Chloe Zhao and Jane Campion, both women directors winning best director. You've got um, Daniel Kwan winning, right? Like they, they've certainly advanced in certain aspects, but they're not all the way there yet. And Back in 2017, Oscars, this felt like a time that they were progressing on the right path. Yeah, and and don't forget Troy Kotzer, also winning a supporting actor, so deaf representation. And Daniel Kaluuya, yep, Will Smith, yeah. yep. Yeah, so like there has been progress made, but it does seem like in terms of black Senate stories, there's a hesitancy, I guess, to highlight those. And since there's hidden figures in Moonlight, I mean, you want to talk about some of the heights oh. of black cinema. Uh, those three definitely stand out. I mean, you got two play adaptations. You have one like re- retelling of a true story. So, like, it's very important and imperative stories, but it seems like there's a reticence to jump 
towards those films, but a, a real hesitancy to jump towards any other type of Black-led narrative. Right. And I feel like not only the hesitancy you speak on, i.e. Till, i.e. The Woman King, which have come out this past year, got completely shut out, i.e. Nope, in a in less to a degree. But yeah, um, I mean, let's not count the films that we just talked about, Till, The Woman King, Nope, Soul, Ma Rainey. In between 2017 with this run of Fences and, and Moonlight and Hidden Figures, I mean, I feel like the Academy has looked at some important black films. You look at Black Panther, of course, like what are some of the what are some of the most important black movies to come out since this time? OK, we already talked about Till and the Woman King. Those got ignored. We talked about Ma Rainey, which did get represented in certain categories, but was ignored. We look at um, One Night in Miami ignored. However, what are some of the other more important black movies to come out? Black Panther you know, represented first superhero movie, best picture nominee, get out best picture nominee, black Klansman, best picture nominee. So, um, I, I've, I was starting to think about, you know, this amazing run and this amazing trio. And I was like, well, it didn't sound like there were a ton of very important black movies to come out afterwards, but all I had to do was think a little bit harder and boom, you got black Klansman, you've got, get out you've got black panther i'm probably forgetting one or two even then so um yeah i mean they've been there and they've been represented but we haven't seen a plethora in one specific year like we have in the past yeah and like i think that's to me the uh, disconnect because it's it, like when it's when it's just one it kind of feels tokenized like 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 we have a quarter to sell Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, but when you have three celebrated films in that in that category, you know that that really shows that you're looking at these stories and and, and you're finding something in them to connect to, and and you understand their importance. Yep. Those three in particular, like I, I literally can't say it enough. Like those are top tier black films <laughs> yep um but i would argue the same could be said for get out the same could be said for soul <laughs> same could be said for my rainy same could be said for the woman king um so i just i mean i don't know what the hesitancy is Maybe, you know, there's, you know, some weird feeling that they don't want to over <laughs> uh, embellish uh, when it comes to our stories. But um, I definitely do think there were moments, particularly in the last three years, where more black films could have been highlighted. I agree. Um, let's wrap this up on our fences conversation phoenix anything else that you want to touch on specifically with fences um like i said it's an impressive film really impressive i do like i'm going back and forth with the dialogue on it with where i was like some of this doesn't really work and then i'm like no some of it works the way exactly it is i'm, I'm sort of still in that camp uh, where I, I do find all of the elements of it eventually and it works and it's a, it's a very good comprehensive film, a brilliant adaptation. I do hope we get to see more, but, uh, since, since we talked about it, like I said, I do want to see other people take on this role. I agree. Um, Final thoughts and rating from me. Um, first time watch, it was it was a little bit more challenging to get through than I thought. The dialogue probably lands itself tremendous to a play. 
to a movie adaptation where you have more volume to do things. It just, it, it didn't quite adapt as thoroughly as I thought it would. Denzel's performance, while magnificent, was a little too on the nose. I would have liked to see maybe someone else fill that role. Um, the direction seemed a little... Um, I would have liked to see some more risks in Denzel's part from the directing chair. Viola Davis is that extreme, extreme powerhouse. Uh, love what she did. And overall, maybe this is a movie that I have more appreciation for moving forward. But at this time, the first watch was not quite what I was expecting. And I would have liked to see this film take more risks. While I'm sure it's a gorgeous, um, extremely well-respected and beautiful play, I got to rate it on what the movie is and what the movie adaptation means. And for me personally, we're not quite there yet. So um, I'm going to give it a three out of five, three stars out of five for me. Um, maybe that adjusts in due time, but for right now, that's how I'm feeling. Phoenix, uh, what about you? I'm just a little bit higher, three and a half out of five. It's a really solid film. Like I said, really impressed with it. Uh, and Viola Davis' performance is, I like, like, yeah, it, it's got it's got a few issues of, I think, just sticking strictly to the play is is its biggest downfall. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, that has been our episode on Fences. Uh, however you are listening to this, if you've listened this far, chances are you enjoyed yourself. So if you would, please go back, check out our other episodes. Maybe you're a frequent listener. Maybe this is your first time. However you are listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of our other episodes are out there. We've done um, Oscar predictions. We've done classic movies such as Point Break and Scarface. We've done recent movies like Moonlight and, and Mad Max Fury Road. So really, however you are listening to this, we've got a plethora of content for you. And we really appreciate you being here. If you would, please subscribe so we can be on your phone next time you hear from us. And if you want to listen to more of Phoenix, Phoenix can tell you about where you can find more of his content. So take it away. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter. H O reviews one. That's the number one. And on Letterbox under P A Cloudic. And if you want to check out my podcast that I host with my friends Brandon and Zach, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Film Code Pod. Awesome. Want to shout out our executive producer Jack Feifner. We could not do. This podcast, without his incredible work, he edits, uploads, and puts our episodes out to the world for them to be listened to by you right now. So thank you to Jack for his work. Uh, from Jack, from Phoenix, from myself, Nathan, this has been the End Credits Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. 